Navy Federals proud to serve more than 8 million members and is open to active duty military, the DOD, veterans, and their family members. Receive a lifetime of membership benefits like a credit card APR average that's 4% lower than the industry's, member-only exclusive rates, and more. Visit NavyFederal.org MLB for more information. Call 1-888-842-6328 or download the Navy Federal Credit Union app today. Message and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Let's change up the way you watch baseball. Introducing Change Up, a brand new live whip around show across the league brought to you by MLB and DAZN. Jump in and out of the best plays as they happen and get expert analysis from hosts who bring a fresh personality and new perspective to the game. It's on every night, and it's available on nearly any device, smart TVs, tablet, mobile, and gaming consoles. Getting set up with DAZN is easy. Just download DAZN app in the Apple or Android app store, sign up by creating an account, and start watching from any device. That's D-A-Z-N. Hello and welcome to the Ringer MLB show. My name is Michael Bauman. I'm a staff writer at the Ringer and I thought we were going to have to fill talking about the Phillies addiction to Fortnite. But no, according to Major League Baseball directives that say that all major news has to happen three hours before we record a podcast. Mike Trout has signed an extension here to talk about that is Zach Cram. Zach. Hello. So you wrote the our first take on this. What is your first take? Uh, my first take is that this Deal simultaneously represents a massive amount of money, uh, $100 million more, at least not accounting for inflation, than any previous baseball contract. It's the largest contract in professional sports history. Uh, Yet it also represents a massive underpay given what Trout will produce and what he has produced in the past. Uh, And I think it's a really interesting contract for that reason. Trout was set to become a free agent after the 2020 season. This 12-year deal will, I guess, replace the next two years. So it's a decade-long extension, which will keep him in Los Angeles through age 38. There are reportedly no opt-outs. So kind of like Bryce Harper in Philadelphia, Trout decides he knows where he wants to be. And honestly, good for him. This doesn't feel like the most he could have possibly. I mean, obviously, it's not the most he could have possibly gotten, given that he signed it two years before free agency. And who knows if if there would have been any kind of bidding war for Trout, because you would have expected a bidding war for somebody like Machado or Harper. And we saw sort of a lukewarm market for those guys. Uh, I think it reflects it is very Trout. Because like you said, it is a ton of money. It's by far the richest contract in baseball history, but it, it's also not like he's taking a little bit less to play where he wants to. And that's sort of it sort of seems to be the way that, that he's operated throughout his career, that he's just like, you know, this is good enough and it gets me where I want to go. And you know, more power to him. And obviously this is a coup for the Angels who are looking at a real crunch to you know, try to cobble together a winning team in the last couple of years of Trask contract, which was uh, it was not looking impossible, but it was it was an uphill battle. So, yeah, it's uh, I mean, I think the, the big winners here, obviously, are the Angels, because I mean, I, I said this in, in my column that just because it's obvious that this helps, you know, the obvious takes that the the obvious take is that the Angels are going to compete long term because of this. Uh, that doesn't make it any less true or any less important. Trout could conceivably retire as even if he doesn't quite 
become the all-time wins above replacement leader. Right now, he is at least through age 26. But even if he doesn't reach that level, he'll probably end up in the top 10. It's not inconceivable to think he'll end up in the top five. And the Angels get to call him their own for his entire career. And you're right, it's obvious, but it's true that like a market inefficiency now is just sign the best players because they're the best players and they're paid you know, less than their dollar per war valuation says they should be. I think it's interesting to note that Trout had already signed an extension earlier in his career. He signed for six years uh, back in 2014. He could have become a free agent after the 2017 winter. So he had already pushed his free agency back a few years, even before signing today. Trout also just is getting better every single year. He's been the best hitter in the league the last three seasons and gotten better uh, with his performance at the plate each of those years. Uh, And that's in addition to being a good fielder at an important defensive position. He steals 20 to 30 bases every year. It's hard to nitpick any part of this, really. It's really incredible that we've I think the contract reflects the the national complacency around Trout, like the the degree to which we take him for granted. He might be the best baseball player ever. This there's there seems to be sort of a cap like, he you know, he's making thirty five, thirty five and change million dollars a year for the life of this contract. And that's not that much more than what Clayton Kershaw is making over the life of his contract. It's uh, just doing the math in my head. It's, you know, something something like uh, well, like a 15 percent increase year over year over Manny Machado's uh, annual salary and Trout's more than 15 percent better than Machado. I, I think there's a cap to which uh, the heuristic evaluation of exceptional baseball players uh, it it gets it regressed a little bit based on you know uh, we almost don't believe that a player could be as good as Trout is and so he's just being paid like the best player in baseball as opposed to the best player pe- best player in baseball by far yeah and that's something we talked about after the Harper and Machado deals I think on this podcast like what does that mean for Mookie Betts and Mike Trout uh, because. Trout in his career, he's been a major leaguer the same duration as Harper and Machado. He's been worth literally their careers combined. But, you know, going from 330 million, which is Harper's deal, to 430 million already seems like a huge jump. It's a hundred million dollars extra. That's a lot of money. So, like, take that and expand it to 300 million dollars. I just think there's no way that possibly could have happened. At the same time, though, like, I think. It means one thing for the market, and I think that's really important to talk about. But for Trout himself, like, you know, it's once you're at $430 million, what's another 50 million? What's another 80 million? And I think sometimes we do perhaps undervalue the importance of just being happy where he is, being familiar with the one organization he's ever known. He obviously wouldn't have signed this contract if he didn't feel those things. And this is also an important thing to talk about with like service time consideration. When mm-hmm. we talk about Vladimir Guerrero, sure, he's injured, but he was going to be held down. Eloy Jimenez uh, is going to be held down so teams could save one extra year on the back end. Well, the Angels didn't manipulate Trout service time, and he ended up liking it there because they treated him well and then decided he was going to become an Angel for life. And not only that, but they gave him big uh, pre-arbitration raises, which you can contrast to, I mean, not like the the Rays intend to sign anybody to a long-term extension, but the, you know, the way that uh, the Rays treated Blake Snell after his um, 
after his Cy Young year this year, uh, the huge pre-free, uh, pre-free agency extension that they gave him. Like that's more than they probably absolutely had to, but I can't imagine that that didn't help build up some goodwill that made him comfortable with the organization. The other thing is, and this is something that I've been kicking around for a couple pieces that I'm working on, uh, in, including the uh, the one that just ran, the Angels have at least tried. And mm-hmm. if you look at the rest of the, the farm system, the rest of the organization, the rest of the big league roster, throughout most of Trout's career, if you take Trout away, that's a 70-win team, probably, year over year. And they could have made a decent argument to tanking, and they committed to at least chasing the possibility of contending every year of his major league uh, major league career, pretty much. And I don't know, that's got to matter at least a little bit in terms of, of making an environment that makes players want to stick around. And you look at, at Trout re-signing there and Shohei Otani with all the money essentially being equal versus, you know, versus all of his suitors deciding to go there. Um, they're running, you know, they're running on a, a pretty good track record of getting their, you know, getting good players to sign there for, for uh significant money, but money that, uh, that the team can absolutely afford. Yeah, there's been a decent amount of discussion online today, kind of reminiscent of when Machado signed with the Padres of, oh, this is terrible for baseball because now Trout's such a great player and he's going to be stuck on a mediocre team the rest of his career. And of course, the Angels famously have not won a single playoff game with Trout on the roster. They made the LDS once and were swept by Kansas City. Uh, they have won 80 games each of the last two years. They haven't had a winning season since 2015 and so on. But I think, I don't know, Trout could have gone and signed with the Phillies and he could have gone and signed with the Yankees and, you know, tried to help build the dynasty there. But you know what team I watched more of than any other last year? It was the Angels because they had Trout and they had Otani and they had Andrew Alton Simmons. And, you know, this year they have Matt Harvey, whatever. But I think it's a bit too much of an overreaction to assume that because the angels haven't yet been able to put all the pieces together and build a winner around trout doesn't mean they won't be able to for the next decade. Like he's the best building block in baseball. Right. And I think that, and that's the the thesis of, of my column sort of ran off of yours is that the angels are actually set up pretty well. They've fixed or they've started to fix the farm system. Joe Adele is going to be up in the next year or so. And with Trout and Otani and depending on what they do with Simmons, whose contract is up, he, you know, with, with Trout locked up, Simmons is now the best, the next big guy they have to either plan for life without or resign to a big extension. Uh, that's a pretty good core and the Astros aren't going to be around forever. This is a team that's demonstrated a consistent commitment to winning. And as to whether he, I I think we're pretty well established that he doesn't give a damn about stardom for stardom's sake. You know, he's not a Bryce Harper or Derek Jeter or somebody who needs to be in the spotlight all the time. He is. And this is something I, I, I think that gets, used as a cudgel to beat guys who want attention with like, there's no, there's nothing wrong with the way that Bryce Harper approaches his career where he needs a record setting contract and he wants to be the face of, of a competitive team in a big market. It's trout uses celebrity. He like, he doesn't have celebrity is not the goal. He wants to, you know, do his spots on the weather channel or get sideline tickets to the Eagles and make a lot of money and live where he wants. And he's doing exactly what he wants. And I think that's honestly, that's that's a way that everybody ought to treat their job is just like this is 
this is something that allows me to have the the thing things that I want, and I'm not going to let you know external considerations dictate how I live my life. And I think that it's cool that that he's doing that, and obviously he's getting paid. Um, you know, four hundred million dollars versus five hundred million dollars doesn't matter. Although, when you look at it that way, you have to uh, turn around on the owners and say, you know, five five billion dollars versus six billion dollars doesn't matter for any one person's uh, personal wealth. But he's, you know, he's so rich that his grandkids are are uh, going to go to private school and so on. And it's he's in a situation that he likes. The team's going to be competitive. So more power to him. There we are. And next up, Mookie Betts, I guess. Yeah. So what does this do for the next class uh, of free agents? Well, so the 2019 class after this upcoming season, the prize was going to be Nolan Arenado, who obviously signed an extension with Colorado. There are still some good position players available. Paul Goldschmidt, most notably. Uh, There are a bunch of pitchers available in this upcoming class. Chris Sale, Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole. But I'll be interested to see what happens next winter, especially after... This winter, uh, the winter of 2020, so two seasons from now, Trout and Mookie Betts were going to be the big gets. Uh, Mookie Betts now, I mean, what does this mean for him and the Red Sox? I would be kind of surprised if the Red Sox don't try to extend him just because of how great he is. He was basically Trout's equal last year. Uh, What does this mean for his market? I'm not totally sure. Uh, And then, like, if Bet signs an extension, you really have to go three winters from now where you'll have a class with a bunch of shortstops like Lindor and Correa and Javi Baez. And I think Chris Bryant might be available that winter, Freddie Freeman. So presumably all of those players won't sign extensions, but especially if you're looking at teams like the Yankees or maybe the Dodgers who were not spending on Harper or Machado this winter because they potentially wanted to save payroll room for later down the road, I think there was some reporting that the Yankees weren't as interested in Machado because they wanted to go for Arenado. Well, mm-hmm. that doesn't work. And then you go to the next winter. Well, Trout doesn't work. So you can keep kicking the can down the line, but there will always be more players you can dream on in a year or two, but it doesn't always work out that way. One thing I, I worry about is that this will be a cap for free agents. And uh, maybe that won't be the case because there will be more aggressive agents than than Trout's agent uh, who come along down the pike. But it's uh, the way that, that Alex Rodriguez's, both of Alex Rodriguez's tenure contracts sort of set the market for almost a decade, even though inflation was going up. There's a, a piece a couple weeks ago by Craig Edwards on Fangraphs where he adjusts the big free agent contracts of the past 20 years for inflation and the the 10-year $252 million contract that A-Rod signed for the 2001 season uh, would be worth almost $60 million a year in today's money. And that's something, you know, that's a one of the ways that that when we look at the player share of revenue, not keeping up with overall uh the overall amount of money that baseball's making, it not adjusting not um not moving those top payroll barriers to keep up with inflation or the the growth of revenue within the sport is, is I think one of the ways that that salaries across the sport are getting depressed right now. So I'm interested to see if somebody like Mookie Betts comes in and says, no, I want if it's twelve four four thirty for Trout, then I want twelve four eighty or twelve five hundred something like that. So I think that's where the market will go from here. I'm not quite sure if we'll get an answer to that anytime soon because well, we will in a year or two, well, right? Well, but I mean, typically the these extensions aren't signed 
in the middle of the season. So I think we're butting up against maybe where that kind of deal could come out for the remainder of this winter. It's interesting. We had a number of extensions from Arenado to Trout at the high end, but then also players like Luis Severino and Aaron Nola and Max Kepler with the Twins where they bought out some pre-R beers. I don't think this is actually a high point. I, I think there were more early extensions earlier this decade. It just seems like a lot because they happened in quick succession and they kind of comprised some of the best players in the sport. Like I said, we'll we'll know more about that in about a year or two, uh, but we've got to get to what we actually had planned today, uh, which is our big over-under preview, where we're going to take all of the Las Vegas win totals uh, from Bovada.com and say, and both of us are going to pick over and under. Uh, you might notice that Ben Lindbergh is not on today's show. Uh, he says that's because he's busy work on, working on his own trout extension column. Um, ben Lindbergh is also famously averse to making predictions. So I find it, find the timing quite curious that, oh no, guys, you get, you, you should go on without me. I, I, I can't make predictions today, but, uh, Zach, you are not a coward like Ben. So I appreciate you, uh, filing early so you can join <laughs> me on this segment. I'm very much, uh, anticipating being wrong about most of these. Well, that's, I mean, that's the point, right? Like, exactly. I, I think Ben cares too much about, obviously we want to be right and get our facts right in a journalistic sense. That's, but in terms of making predictions, predictions aren't about, aren't necessarily about being right or wrong. They're about telling a story or, or, you know, espousing a a way to, to view the sport or, or, you know, it's not strictly about being right or wrong. So with that said, we're definitely going to be keeping score though. Um, so why don't we start with the American league East? Uh, the Baltimore Orioles won 47 games, Man, that just looks weird. 47 games in 2018, their over-under is 59 and a half for this season, which is unbelievably low. It's uh, unbelievably low, and it also represents a 12 and a half win improvement on last mm-hmm. year. I think I would go over, which is shocking. Um, I think I would go over because even though the Orioles were terrible last year, and even though I would struggle perhaps to name all you know 25 members of their 25 man roster i probably haven't heard of some of those players i think it's just so hard to be that bad two years in a row and i think like even though they had obviously a lot go wrong last year it was basically everything that could have gone wrong went wrong they traded a lot of guys mid-season chris davis had maybe the worst season ever all of their pitchers were bad or hurt so i think a couple more bounces go their way this year just by the odds evening out, and I would pick them to go like 61 and 101. Now, don't listen to us under. It's a perfectly reasonable take looking at that roster. I just, yeah, they traded like Scope and Machado midseason last year, and now they're just not going to have Scope and Machado all year. So what do you, you know, that's that's not going to be a place for improvement. All right, Toronto Blue Jays, 73 wins last year, 74 and a half. Is there over under this year? You want to go first? We can alternate. Who goes first? Okay. Um, I'm going to take the under. I That's just such a tough division, and they're kind of uninspiring to me right now. I am also going to take the under. I think I will watch them a lot because they have guys like Vlad Guerrero Jr. Uh, maybe Bo Bichette will get called up later this summer. But I think their pitching is a real problem. And like you said, it's a it's too tough a division to win that many games, I think. Yeah. All right. Uh, Tampa Bay Rays, somewhat surprising at 90 wins last year. I like a lot of the moves they made uh, over the 
dating back to the deadline when they acquired Tom, Tommy Pham, I think they sold high on Chris Archer. Um, their win total is 84 and a half. Um, I, I probably shouldn't say this now because we're doing like uh, more of a preview uh, next week, but I might pick the Rays to win the division this year, so Get I'm going way over. Come on. I'm 100% serious. All right, think- I'm going over. I'm not... <laughs> That's the most that's what a fucking heat check that is after your Oakland A's uh, division prediction. You're, you know, Manny Machado going to the Padres like, what is this? You know, that like, all right, I'm, we're going to go over the win totals for the next two teams in the division. And once you remember who they are, if you want to go back and revise <laughs> your prediction, that's totally fine with me. I'm going over. Um I think less than 90, but more than 84 and a half. Uh, That's because I think they're going to lose a bunch of games to the Boston Red Sox, who are uh, in it 94 and a half uh, after winning 108 last year. I'm going over on them. I'm going to go under. I think you have to. Well, yeah, I think, but kind of the reverse of the Orioles. Basically, everything that could have gone right for Boston last year basically went right. And I don't expect, you know, Betts is incredible. I don't expect him to be like a 13-win player extrapolated over 162 games again. J.D. Martinez was fully healthy last year for the first time in a while. You know, Chris Sale got hurt for about a month, but their pitching basically stayed intact. And sure, they went out and signed Nathan Eovaldi, but I don't think anyone is expecting him to last the whole season. Their bullpen is pretty bad. I think the Red Sox will still make the playoffs, but more they'll be closer to 92 wins, which is where they had been You know, the two seasons before last year, even when they were division champs. All right. New York Yankees, uh, 96 and a half is their over under 96 and a half. I will go. I guess I have to go slightly under because I have the Rays going over so much. But I think like the 90, 93 to 95 is probably right for the Yankees. I think 96 and a half is a really, really good line. I'm yeah, looking exactly. at it and I'm not really. I guess I'd go under, but I don't feel good about that at all. Yeah, I think had Luis Severino not gotten hurt. I would have probably leaned closer to the overside. But if you look at that line, I think it's easier to see where they could fall a win or two short uh, than push a win or two above, especially if, you know, my guy James Paxson gets hurt at any point. Well, yeah, it's that's only a matter of when. Um, All right, let's move to the AL Central. Detroit Tigers, 64 wins last year, 68 and a half. uh, Is there over under Uh, the, the projection systems have them going slightly under? Uh, so I am going to go with the projection systems, but again, 68 and a half feels you know, somewhere mid sixties, I guess is where I think they'll, they'll end up. This is a tough division because I think all three of these next teams are going to talk about like any one of them could win 74 games just by virtue of playing the other two. Like if the tigers, go 13 and six against each of the Royals and White Sox. They'll probably go over. So it's kind of throwing darts at which one will be better. But I would agree with you that the Tigers seem slightly under. We can also note that uh, it was announced this morning that Michael Fulmer, the Tigers nominal ace, uh, is probably going to need Tommy John surgery. So that just removes uh, at least more of a stable block uh, that the Tigers rotation was hoping to depend on. Kansas City Royals. 69 and a half is their, their win total. Um, I know they're your Kansas City Royals, uh, but they're going to steal a ton of bases. I think they're going to be terrible. So I'm taking the under. I agree wholeheartedly. They're going to be you know, the most entertaining 65 and 97 team in recent memory. 
Well, I hope you report back because it seems like you're going to be watching a lot of a lot more of this team than I will. Um, this next one just makes me sad. The Chicago White Sox, who I thought were going to contend, I thought they were going to be big free agent players. Uh, they just announced Carlos Rodon is going to be their opening day starter. Um, yeah, I'm going. I'm going under seventy four and a half here. I guess I probably misplayed this because I'm also going to go under on all three of these bad AL Central teams, and one of them will probably make us look wrong, but then yeah. we'll get the other two right. But then we'll be right on the other two. Yeah. Exactly. I want the White Sox to be good so so much, and they just it was, this offseason was such a missed opportunity. They could they could be doing what the Padres have done essentially, and and they just missed out on the top free agents. Minnesota Twins, who are at they're an offseason I like a lot. Like Nelson Cruz is, is really good. They've added a lot of, of uh really good players around the edges of Jonathan, you know. Well, I don't know if Jonathan Scope is really good uh anymore, but he's a serviceable replacement for Brian Dozier at least. Um 84 and a half wins is I think maybe a little aggressive, but just because I think the other three teams in the division are the other three teams in the division below them are going to be so bad. I'm going to take them to go over. I think they're the only team with a realistic shot of, of making Cleveland sweat. Okay. We need to start disagreeing again because I have the exact same logic. I will say it's absurd that the twins and the rays have the same over under total. Everyone is sleeping on the rays. Uh, but yeah, Minnesota like actually has the best lineup in the division. If you go player by player, they have a solid offense. Jose Barrios is good. They could have a really interesting and effective bullpen with Trevor May and Taylor Rogers and Blake Parker. Uh, it just like the three through five pitchers in the rotation, man, like if Dallas Keuchel ends up signing with Minnesota, I think they could actually make a run at Cleveland. Yeah. But until that happens, Cleveland at 90 and a half, um, I don't want to pick them to go over just because they've been so uninspiring this off season, but they're, I mean, Lindor is not going to miss uh, that much of the season. They still have the best rotation, maybe in all of baseball. Um, they've got a solid bullpen that they restocked last year. It's uh, you know, Lindor and Ramirez gives it, they get, they just give you too much room to play with. So I'm going to go over 90 and a half just because who in that division is going to like, they could play 700 ball against the the rest of that division. I would actually quibble with some of that. Like, I don't think their bullpen is very good beyond Brad hand. I think, I guess they just signed Carlos Gonzalez and Hanley Ramirez to help with their lineup. If that's an actual upgrade on what they had before, I think Cleveland, uh, the projection systems, if you take an average of fan graphs and baseball prospectuses have Cleveland winning 96 games this year. So that's uh, the biggest positive differential between the projection systems and Vegas. So I guess Vegas is a, as down on Cleveland's offseason as we were. But I think with a gap that large, we would have to go with the projection system that also you know, is potentially baking in the fact that Cleveland, among all of these AL Central teams, will actually try to improve at the deadline if they notice that their bullpen or outfield is flagging. So I think it's safe to assume Cleveland's going to, like you said, go 700 against the rest of the division. All right. Well, this feels like a good good spot to take a break. So we're going to pause for a word from our sponsors and be back with the other four divisions right after this. The Rear MLB Show is brought to you by Burrow. 
Burrow is rethinking how people shop for and live with their furniture by making high-quality sofas that are customized online, ship for free in one week, and set up in minutes. Burrow is built to adapt to your life with stain-resistant fabric, built-in USB charger, and a frame made from sustainably sourced hardwood. Burrows are easy to set up and disassemble, and you can also make it bigger at any time. It grows as you do. Burrow is designed for comfort with proprietary foam that's supportive yet cozy, and the ability to customize every detail like armrest height. You can also shop Burrow's line of pillows and throws to complement your sofa with four unique pillow collections. Now, I've got a Burrow in my living room. You might notice it because it's the thing that I produce most of my Ringer MLB content on. It's comfortable. The sofa was easy to put together. I like that it's modular because your needs change over time. And rather than buying a whole new sofa as your family grows or you need more space or you move into a bigger apartment, you can just change the configuration of your sofa for less than buying a new sofa somewhere else. So if you want to buy a Burrow for yourself, Burrow was recently named one of the best inventions of 2018 by Time Magazine, and you can get $75 off your award-winning Burrow sofa by visiting burrow.com slash MLB. That's B-U-R-R-O-W.com slash MLB to get $75 off your order. Thanks again to Burrow for supporting the show. Are you looking for that new batter glove before hitting the diamond for the new season? Well, Baseball Express has you covered. Baseball Express features the largest selection of bats, gloves, cleats, and apparel. For nearly 30 years, they've provided the best performance gear at reasonable prices for baseball and softball players of all ages and skill levels. They carry all the major brands, Easton, Louisville Slugger, Rawlings, Wilson, New Balance, DiMarini, and more. They're dedicated to providing the best customer service and shopping experience possible, and your complete satisfaction is their goal. Baseball Express also offers free shipping on all orders of $75 or more, as well as free returns on every order. Visit BaseballExpress.com today for a special offer for only listeners of the Ringer MLB show. Enter promo code RINGER20 and receive 20% off your order. That's promo code RINGER20 for 20% off at BaseballExpress.com. Baseball Express, the game you love, the gear you need, the price you want. Hi, before we get back to the show, I just wanted to warn you that Zach's mic uh, went on strike at some point, uh, probably because it was so dissatisfied with his take on the Tampa Bay Rays. So if the audio changes at some point during the uh, second half of the show, don't be alarmed. We did that on purpose. So without any further delay, the return of the Ringer MLB show. All right. So after having conducted commerce, we are back for uh, the last four divisions over under uh, we're going to pick up with the American League West Division and the Texas Rangers. How the mighty have fallen, Zach Cram. The Rangers, looking at their roster, is such a fun tour through past Major League Baseball seasons. They have is Jeff fun Mathis. the word you're really looking for here? Well, they have Jeff Mathis, so it's a no, it's a that guy. They have Logan Forsyth is a that guy. They have Esdrubal Cabrera. Matt Davidson, ESPN, had a story yesterday that said Matt Davidson is expected to pitch 30 innings this year. I believe that. I, he looked good. He looked good seems last year. really high. Uh, and I'm not sure if that says good things about the Rangers uh, roster, but you look. You also look at their pitching staff. They have Lance Lynn and Drew Smiley and Shelby Miller and Edison Volquez. Like, I don't know. There's There's a 2014 contender somewhere within this roster. Unfortunately, it is not 2014. Uh, so I will go under with the Texas Rangers. Yeah. Uh, you're going to need other means than looking at the Rangers record to tell you that it's not 2014 because they were terrible that year. They're going to be pretty bad again this year. Uh, Seattle Mariners, 71 and a half wins. Uh, there are individual players that I am perhaps foolishly bullish on. I 
repeated my prediction to you that Justice Sheffield will be will outperform James Paxton over the the next two years uh, uh, when I was down at spring training and got laughed at, but I don't care. With that said, uh, outside of Mitch Haniger and Kikuchi and a couple other guys, this team is pretty uninspiring. Kyle Seeger is hurt and also old. Uh, give me the under on 71 and a half. I'm going to go with the over. I think there are a lot of interesting pieces here for a team that removed a lot of its best players this winter in trades. I think there are enough players here to like you look at some of these AL central teams, you look at Texas and there are options where it just gets really bad and really dark. I think the Mariners have enough good players that they have a cushion. It would surprise me if they won fewer than 70 games and obviously the over under 71 and a half but i think that's close enough that there's a lot more upside here than downside and i'm going to go with the over i think there's upside i just think that having 270 win you know they've got two lineups worth of, of 71 players you know uh and they can only play one of them at a time that doesn't you know make <laughs> them you know what i mean so Next up is the Angels with an over-under of 82 and a half. And I think kind of like recent iterations of the Angels, if their pitching holds up, I think they're going to exceed this. If it doesn't, they will fall short. But I'm going to go over, I think, uh, as high as I was on Oakland last year, I think if a team's going to challenge Houston this season, I actually would bet a little bit more on the Angels than Oakland. Yeah, I agree. I am mashing the over. Uh, that lineup's good when you look at it. When you, if they, I think a lot of this is contingent on Brad Osmus holding his nerve and playing Justin Bohr over, uh, over Albert Pujols. Um, but they're pretty solid one through seven. And there's a, a lot of individual pitchers I like. They're, they've changed pitching coaches. They're, they're changing, uh, they're conditioning, uh, Team wide, Cole Calhoun seemed to figure things out. A lo- just so many things went wrong last year, and they went eighty and eighty-two. So, uh, on the other hand, you know, I'm looking at their depth charts on Fangraphs right now, and the number one starter is Andrew Haney, who has a like a green plus sign next to his name that says elbow day to day. Yeah, the number two pitcher yep. is Tyler Skaggs. It says uh-huh. forearm day to day. Uh, their replacement would be Nick Tropiano, who it says shoulder day to day. So maybe this is foolish. Yeah, I don't know if this is it depends on how you how you look at it. Either like their luck has to change or it's not luck and it's not going to change. Uh but that's a developing story we'll be covering here on the ringer.com. Uh next up, your Oakland Athletics, 83 and a half wins, down from 97 last year. That's a big drop. It's huge I think, drop. I think I'm not as high on Oakland as I was last year. Uh I don't think they will repeat their success in one-run games. I don't think you know their defense is good. I don't know if it's best in the majors good a second year in a row. I am very worried about their rotation, but 13 and a half wins is such a big drop that I'm going to go over just because like they could be a lot worse and still win 86 games. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to go over as well, but I'm going to be less equivocal about it. I think they've made a lot of smart moves this year. Losing Cahill hurts, but they always seem to figure stuff out. Uh, Jesus Lazardo is going to make a big impact at the major league level. You know, when was the, it's been a while since they've had that caliber of pitching prospect come up. I think Jerkson Profar is a really savvy pickup just because he, 
sort of under the radar last year with Texas finally figured things out. He's just been such a disappointment for so long that I, I think a lot of people just didn't notice that he was actually pretty good last year. So there's, and the bullpen is, is the bullpen. Maybe some of those guys regress individually, but they seem to to have their act figured out. I am very bullish on Oakland this year, uh, which, but not as bullish as I am on the Houston Astros. Um, 96 and a half. I believe that's the, the joint highest over under in baseball with the, uh, with the Yankees, and I'm going over. This team is just so good. They lose McCullers to shoulder surgery. They lose Morton. They, I guess, probably lose Keuchel. And then they're just going to backfill those slots in the rotation with minor leaguers who can throw 98 miles an hour. And I think there's a lot more downside this year than last year, uh, just because of those rotation questions. And also, like, you know, Jose Altuve looked older last year. What if he doesn't rebound? And there are, I think, potential scenarios where they don't win 100 games again, but they've won 100 games, and it would be it would be kind of a surprise to see them not at least approach that again. I mean, Jose Altuve looked older, but Carlos Correa could barely move because of his, because of his back last year, and that's you know if that's better, then he's going to be. I mean, he slugged or he had like a, a four or five hundred OPS in the second half last year. That's not going to happen again. Um, so maybe I I think the the Astros just have so many talented players that yeah some of them are going to regress or some of them are going to get hurt and some of them are going to have down years. Kyle Tucker did nothing last year, um, but they have so many of them that others are going to have career years and it's going to bounce it's going to bounce out and they're going to win hundred games again. So over for me. All right, over to the National League, the New York Mets, eighty five and a half over under. This is wow, they're making it really tough for the New York teams. Eighty five and a half seems exactly where I would put them. I'm like weirdly optimistic about the Mets this season, which is probably wrong, but I think they made all of their moves basically early in the winter. They traded for Cano, they traded for Diaz, they signed Judd Lowry, and that's kind of been usurped by the Phillies getting Bryce Harper, and I'm very high on the Nationals for their offseason too. Uh, the Phillies also got JT Real Muto since then, so the Mets have kind of gone under the radar, but I'm going to go over, I think. They have a good rotation, at least until you get Jason Vargas in the five spot. They have a good and flexible lineup. I think people are honestly forgetting that like Robinson Cano is a very good player. He's not just a, you know an albatross of a contract at this point. He's going to help the team this year. And with Conforto and Nimmo and Neil, they have a lot of good young hitters too. I'm going to go under. I, I also see a lot of upside with the Mets, but also... I think they end up it's I think they're the fourth best out of these four good teams in this division. I think they end up somewhere in the in the low to mid 80s. So somewhere like 84 if I had to pick a number out of thin air. I, you know, DeGrom if DeGrom's as good as he as he was last year then he's Bob Gibson essentially. And you know, I'm concerned about Noah Syndergaard's terminal weirdness. Uh their back end pitching depth I'm I'm not so sure about and so I uh yeah, I this team could could absolutely win the division, but I think it's if if I had to order them, they would be fourth among these four contending teams in the East. Uh, Miami Marlins, who I would just soon forget about. Under, under, under. I, I don't even know what it's going to. I don't even care what it is. I'm going under on the Marlins. It's sixty three uh, and a half, by the way. Yeah, that's. I don't know. Like, is there any way that the Marlins don't lose a hundred games this year? Well, sure. In this division, it just seems so it's tough. It's possible. It's always possible. <laughs> I think the Marlins uh, are more likely than the Orioles to finish with the worst record in the league. And I think the odds and the projections don't necessarily bear that out. 
but I think like at least the Orioles have the Blue Jays to play, right? And the Blue Jays are fine, but they're not incredible. The Marlins are going to have half of their games against this division. The Orioles at least get some games against they're the, the bizarro Orioles Cleveland White, so. Indians. Well, yeah, and the Marlins. I think the Giants are probably the second worst team in the National League. Like they'd be one of you know, would they be in the bottom five in the AL? Maybe not. All right. Atlanta Braves, 86 and a half. I think Vegas is less down on the Braves than it seems like conventional wisdom and the projections uh, between Pakoda and Zips seem to be. I I like the Braves for over 86 and a half. This team won the division last year. They've got a lot of good players. They're they're you know they're bringing back essentially their entire core. They added Josh Donaldson. They've got ungodly amounts of talented young pitchers coming up through the pipeline. Like the only way they don't hit, I don't know if they make the playoffs again, but I, I think the only way they don't hit 85, 86 wins is if it like their first three or four options for the back end of that rotation don't pan out, and it takes them just forever to find on so, to land on somebody who does because they will. They've just got too many good young pitchers for it not to work. I'm actually going under on them. I think a lot of the rotation questions you had about the Mets apply here with Atlanta, their best pitcher last year, Mike Poltenevitz. Uh, I wrote a piece last week that I think he's the single pitcher most likely to regress this season just because basically every metric showed he was lucky last year, plus his elbows hurting this spring. So you remove him, and then I think kind of like you said with Seattle where they have a lot of decent players in the lineup but nobody who's like actually good enough to take that team to the next level i look at this braves rotation and see a lot of number four pitchers uh but seven number four pitchers doesn't equal numbers one and two i also have questions about their bullpen uh especially compared to the other bullpens in this division i wouldn't be surprised if they win again but i think they're the fourth worst. Uh, they're the they're the fourth best of these four. I think that's ever. really harsh. You know, Freddie Freeman's a consistent top ten MVP guy. They got Donaldson. They got Acuna. I think Ozzy Albies is going to be better than he was last year. I agree that Fultonavich is going to regress, but they've just got so much. I don't think they've got seven number fours. I think they've got you know a couple number fours and a couple guys who could be two or three. You know, two or three uh, pitchers, and that's uh, obviously not going to hack it. Yeah, it's not going to give them the advantage in terms of, of top of the rotation in a division with Nolan, DeGrom, and Sendergaard, and uh, Corbin, Scherzer, Strasburg. Uh, but I think they got more than enough just in terms of volume. This is obviously a, you know an anecdote as opposed to real hard data, but the Braves did arrive a year early last year, right? They probably didn't expect to contend until this year, and then they made the playoffs. It kind of reminds me of when Houston made the playoffs initially in 2015, uh, and then they stumbled and didn't make it back in 2016 before becoming a juggernaut. And I think there's a possibility Atlanta takes a step back this year and their long-term trajectory will still look fine, but at least in the short term, it won't look as rosy as uh, it might have last October. Okay, fine. Well, it, it, for the sake of argument, it reminds me of the Cubs in 20, uh, 2015. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, that's not an argument. That's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Okay. Um, I'm glad we disagreed on one. I think that was the... Atlanta, it seems to be the team that we have the the most divergent outlook on, um, except for Tampa Bay, I guess, because something about the southeastern United States and you. Uh, Washington Nationals, 88 and a half wins. I already wrote a piece about how I thought the Nationals uh, are maybe the best, uh, them and the Dodgers, but I think the Nationals might be the best team in the National League, even without Harper. Their outfield is still really good. Their lineup is still really good, and I am pretty 
pleased with what they did this offseason, not just adding Patrick Corbin at the high end, but adding a lot of depth pieces. Uh, in recent years, the Nationals have been a stars and scrubs team, and they still have a lot of stars, but I think they've improved that floor as well. Yes. On paper, they're probably the best team in the division. That's just the the one through three of that rotation is so good. Uh, I think Soto's breakout last year, Anthony Rendon being another top 10 player in the National League when he's at his best, that gave them the ability to move on from Bryce Harper. Uh, I don't know. I, you know, I don't want to say they're not going to miss him, but I think they'll they'll win upper 80s, probably low 90s, somewhere in there. All right. Uh, and that brings us to the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, 89 and a half tops in the National League East. I think they made, I mean, it was a very, very noisy uh, off season, which would lead you to believe that they're, that they're going to suck up a lot of public money. Um, I don't think they were as bad as their 80 and 82 record would suggest last year. They're going to improve just for instance, by virtue of not playing uh, Reese Hoskins in left field routinely. That said, I'm, a little more cautious about about the Phillies. I I'm going to go under, and I'm not going to feel awesome about it, but I'm I'm going to go under. I feel similarly, uh, and I would actually say maybe they were worse than their 80 and 82 record showed last year. They were just 76 and 86 by their run differential, and we're actually pretty lucky. So this would require almost a 15 game improvement uh, from their underlying numbers and that's certainly possible given all the players they added it's kind of similar to washington in that they sort of removed they didn't just add superstars but they removed these blank spaces too yes but i just i don't know there's something about maybe their rotation or the fact that i don't know if all these pieces quite fit together the way just adding a bunch of all-stars seems like it should i think the pieces fit fine i yeah, you know, just the the things like not having Hoskins in left field, not you know, the the upgrade from Scott Kingery to Gene Segura is probably going to be bigger than the upgrade from Nick Williams to Bryce Harper and Wright. You know, like they're gonna they're gonna get a lot of major upgrades in a lot of places. I mean, this is another team where, where I have serious reservations, or not reservations, but it's sort of a boomer bust rotation outside of uh, the top couple guys. Um, I just also kind of feel like they've got more potential for stupid shit to happen to them than any of, of the other teams in the division, except maybe the Mets actually. So as I think about this, I'm going to change my mind in the middle of the podcast. I'm going to go over okay. now that I'm thinking about, it's not just like replacing Kingery. Like you said, it's they had the worst defense uh, maybe ever last year, at least mm-hmm. one of the worst ever. So I think maybe just like the, the domino effect from improving that, to it helps Nick Pavetta's numbers. It maybe helps Jake Arietta's numbers, which were pretty bad last year. He is no longer able to strike guys out. So improving the defense will help his batted ball numbers. I'm still kind of on the fence, but I guess I'll change and go over just to disagree with you. Yeah, I'm I mean, nothing between like 83 wins and 95 would surprise me with this team. I just think that the the amount of talent that they've added, which they had a bunch of talent to start and they added a bunch of really good players, but still it I I'm not 100 percent convinced. So I'm going under. But this is not one of those where I'm where I would actually bet my own money on this, Um, which I guess you could say the same about the entire National League Central. I am pretty much. 
pick it over unders out of a hat here. I have very little reason to critique this division nas- or, uh, rationally. These are five good teams that could finish probably not in any order, but any one of these teams could could have a great season or a bad season. So let's start with the Reds. I have 79 feels like a fair win total, uh, but I have already staked out my position as the guy who's optimistic on the Reds, so I'm going to go over. I'm also optimistic on the Reds. I will also go over uh, for many of the same reasons we've been saying for some of these teams. I think improving the rotation from terrible to decent uh, is a great start. I'm really high on some of their prospects like Nick Senzel, I think, uh, is a sneaky rookie of the year candidate this year. Uh, so I will go over on the Reds. Yeah, and I, I think they were, they're another team that was better. You look at the talent on the team, they were better than their record last year. Guys like uh, Eugenio Suarez and and you know, Votto lost a little bit of power. Is still an incredible on-base guy. He's going to score a ton of runs depending on where they hit him in the lineup. Uh, they could have a new manager bounce. I think there's a lot of upside with this team. Uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, 82 wins last year, 77 and a half this year. The Pirates, I think, are kind of the forgotten team in the NL Central. Other teams were either making moves, like the Cardinals adding Paul Goldschmidt, the Brewers adding Yasmani Grandal, the Reds making all their moves, or they were the Cubs, in which case the biggest story about the Cubs was that they weren't making any moves. The Pirates kind of fall into that category. And I just think the other teams in the NL Central are good enough that I would take the under for the Pirates. I think the projection systems have them right around this number, maybe even a game or two better. But I think I see more downside with them than really any of these other NL Central teams. I'm picking under just because I don't want to reward them for not spending enough to field a competitive team. Screw them. So you picking against them is, or you picking for them would be ample reward? Yeah, they don't deserve my confidence. They haven't, they haven't <laughs> earned it. All right, Milwaukee Brewers, 86 and a half. Over! I feel as good about this as any over-under pick I've made so far. Then I guess I should whisper that uh, I might be leaning more towards the underside. Uh, I think the Brewers are a really good team. I think they're a really fun team, and they deserve a lot of credit for actually trying. They added Mike Moustakis. They added Yosemite Grandal. I'm still really worried about their rotation. I think a lot of their performances last year from players like Christian Yelich and Jesus Aguilar aren't necessarily repeatable. Uh, And I think there's certainly something to the fact that the way they play and how good their bullpen is makes them a candidate to overperform, kind of like we thought with the Royals and the Orioles from recent seasons. But then that stopped. And I don't know when that will stop for the Brewers or if there's a systematic problem there, but... I think I would lean under if I had to pick, although this seems like a a decent middle ground for me. Yeah, I well, one that doesn't make me feel any less confident because the other team I felt this confident uh, about was the Red Sox, who you also picked to go under for stupid reasons. Uh, I mean, the other thing is Corbin Burns out of the rotation. Just remember the name Corbin Burns. All right. Chicago Cubs, 88 and a half uh, under. It depends if you believe uh, the projections are not right. That's even the Cubs are mad about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're real mad. I think they're mad because they know there's something to it. Yeah, exactly. I will also go under. I wrote a piece, I guess, two off seasons ago now uh, after they lost to the Dodgers in the NLCS about how there were some real problems on the horizon for the Cubs. And I got a lot of people mad at me for suggesting that A, a budding dynasty like the Cubs might not be performing as well but you look at what they've done and they haven't really 
improved the team since then. They obviously tried with Mm -hmm. Hugh Darvish, and I think he's a good bounce-back candidate this year, but the rest of the rotation has a lot of potential problems. The bullpen has a ton of potential problems. The rotation just top to bottom looks... It doesn't look as good now as those names would have three years ago, you know? And I think the offense is going to be really good still, even Mm -hmm. if Baez regresses. Rizzo and Bryant were both hurt a lot last year. But I think this pitching staff was really lucky a season ago and probably won't repeat that this year. Yeah, I think this team is I don't think this team is is uh, substantially worse than they were in 2018 or 2017. I just think the rest of the divisions caught them. You know, it's a matter of Milwaukee and St. Louis in particular being a lot better. Um, And uh, to that end, I'm going to pick the St. Louis Cardinals to go over 88 and a half wins. I will pick them to go under 88 and a half wins. Why is that? You're, you're, you're not a believer in Paul Goldschmidt. You're not a believer in Alex Reyes. You're not a believer in Harrison Bader, Paul DeYoung. You know, what, what, what is it about this team that bothers you? I like a lot of those players individually. I think a couple problems arise when I look at the Cardinals roster. First is as phenomenal as Harrison Bader is in center field. I'm not really sure about this defense. Uh, if they play Dexter Fowler in right field, he hasn't hit in a while, uh, which could lead Jose Martinez to play in right field, and that's a problem. Uh, Matt Carpenter moving away from first base, I think he's capable of not playing there, but you don't really see first baseman move to other more demanding infield positions anymore. I think Marcel yeah, Azuna... He's not a like, no, he's not he's not a bad defender, but I th- think he's also not a guy who's been a first baseman that long. Like he's played all over the infield relatively recently. Sure. I think it, it just opens up more questions. Marcelo Zuna in left field uh, is not the player I think St. Louis thought they were getting when they traded for him in Miami. If you look at his year by year numbers, he benefited I think more than a lot of players did from the home run spike in 2017. He had an inordinate number of his fly balls go for home runs. And that's really the, by far the best offensive season he's had. Whereas all of his other underlying numbers looked pretty similar. And then I go to the rotation. I'm a huge fan of miles. Michaelis. I think Jack Flaherty is going to be really good, but the Carlos Martinez injury has me concerned. I think they're kind of, uh, a really high risk, high reward bullpen. Someone like Andrew Miller could be the best reliever in baseball again. But are you convinced about that after the season he just had? I'm not so sure. And it wouldn't surprise me if the Cardinals won the division. But I think it's it's a little concerning for the purposes of picking the over under that it's this high. I think they'll be better than they were last year. But I'm not sure in this division if that'll actually translate to more wins. If that makes any sense. I was going to say, because they won 88 games last year. So if you think they're going to be better, then you should pick the pick the over. You know, they won 88 games and they had so many things go wrong. Like it was they had just a, the number of stupid disasters was on par with something like the what the Angels suffered or the Phillies in the second half. Uh, they they were so much better than they or they should have been so much better than they were last year. And they've improved in so many ways this year. I'm I can't help but take the over. I, I certainly see your point. I'll note that maybe I've been wrongly influenced by the projection systems here because uh, outside the Cubs, who have made a big deal out of it, the Cardinals actually have the biggest negative gap between their projected win total and their Vegas over-under. So I think uh, you know Vegas might be expecting people to say, oh, look, it's Paul Goldschmidt. The Cardinals are going to be better this year, whereas the numbers uh, undergirding their roster might not be quite as high. 
So the thing about projection systems in general is that when you look at those win totals, it's as much about getting who's going to have the playing time right. Uh, and they're all the error bars on that they allow for a certain player on the on a projection system. Like they don't allow for. I, I think they tend to underrate rookies a little bit, um, which I guess isn't really a problem with the with the Cardinals. So like there's something like the Cubs where there isn't that much doubt over who's going to play or play where or play how much uh, where maybe this is actually telling us. And the difference is so extreme. Something like Pakoda underrating the Cubs the way they are could actually be a red flag. I think the Cardinals and it's still within a couple wins. Um, that's not as big a concern to me. All right, San Francisco Giants, uh, 73 and a half is their over under. Too bad about not signing Bryce Harper. Uh, hope you enjoy Joey Bart. <laughs> That's a, a troll for a very under. specific section of the San Francisco fan base. Yeah, under for me. I will also go under. Uh, I could see San Francisco being one of those teams that really gets worse at midseason, trading a lot of players. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how good Madison Bumgarner is at this point, but me it wouldn't either. shock me to see him traded in July. It wouldn't shock me to see a lot of this team's uh, surprisingly solid relievers traded in July. So I could see them, you know, we get those teams every year where they're sort of on a certain pace and then just completely collapse over the last two months. And with new management trying to really rehaul this roster, I see that as a possibility. Yeah, I like aggressively do not know what to expect from Madison Bumgarner. Um, and that's, I mean, not that that's a big storyline overall, but like you said, it could influence if he gets traded or, or, you know, more specifically, whether or not the Giants win 72 games or 74 Colorado Rockies, 84 and a half wins. Where do you, I am going to go under and I feel bad about them. kind of like with the Brewers because they kind of tried this off season. They signed Daniel Murphy, but they didn't try all that much. Uh, they're letting the kids play, which is, I think, good for them long term, but might provide some growing pains. And I think where you come down with Colorado is really where you think Herman Marquez and Kyle Freeland, uh, how you think they'll do this year, because they were so good last year and it's so hard to be as effective as they were pitching in Colorado. I think it depends on whether you think that success is repeatable or not. Yeah, I agree entirely. And I think that speaks to me being maybe a little bit bullish, a little bit more bullish on their kids and their pitchers than you are. So I'm, I'm taking the over, uh, you know, I don't think they're like a 94 win team or anything like that, but you know, if I had to pick a number, probably somewhere 85, 86, so a soft over, but I think I'm a little bit more optimistic. Yeah. And they were pretty lucky last year. They overperformed their run differential by more than any team except Seattle. So I think maybe there isn't as much of a cushion there as we might expect. Uh, but it wouldn't certainly wouldn't surprise me uh, to see them push over. You know, a lot of these, a lot of these over unders, frankly, are the result of maybe Vegas looking at the projection systems and getting smarter. Mm-hmm. There are a lot fewer obvious ones, I think, than than I've noticed in recent years. I don't know. As as much as I I considered some of the Rockies' success last year to be fluky, I think they also ran a lot of suboptimal lineups last year, and you know, maybe that gets fixed. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, you know, I'm. Just choosing to be a little more optimistic with this. All right. Arizona Diamondbacks, 75 and a half. This is a, it's a tricky number for me. So I'm, I'm going to make I'm you go first. I actually didn't have to think about this one that long. Okay. So I'm going to go over. I think the biggest thing the Diamondbacks did this winter, obviously, was trade Paul Goldschmidt. And I blasted that deal, I think, 
it was a mistake. Uh, and I don't like what it said about the direction the franchise is going because they've been playoff contenders. They were a playoff team uh, within the last two seasons. But I don't think they're going to drop so far as to win just 75 games uh, because first, the players that got back for Goldschmidt should contribute this year. And they still have a lot of players who give them a floor from Granky and Robbie Ray in the rotation to players like Eduardo Escobar and uh, David Peralta in, in the lineup who certainly don't serve as, as an imposing presence like Goldschmidt did. But this team, I don't think, is going to collapse, and this number suggests they will. I just look at this, and outside of Granky and maybe Ray and Archie Bradley, I don't know who I trust on this team. And it's just not enough. You're not a fan of Merrill Kelly? Yeah, apparently he's accused of tax evasion or something like that. And from the world of soccer, I know that if you don't pay your taxes, you're a really good player. So maybe I am <laughs> underrating the the Arizona Diamondbacks a little bit. Um, I don't know. I'm going to pick under. I don't feel great about it. I think somewhere in the 70s, you know, somewhere in the mid 70s, that's just it's it's uh, 75 and a half is, is sort of a tough line for for me to get a good feel on. So I'll you know, I'll pick the under and probably be wrong. All right. This is I'm I don't know if I'm excited. I think we're both going to pick the over on the Padres, but let's, you know, just let's just confirm it. 78 and a half San Diego Padres over. Yes, 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 yes. You want to explain why? Well, they signed Manny Machado, which uh, I don't know if you heard about him. He's he's really good. They're also bringing up, uh, let's see, four top 40 prospects either to start the season or very shortly thereafter. Luis Arias, Fernando Tatis Jr., Chris Paddock, Francisco Mejia. They've got a wealth of other young, exciting arms. They're going to bring back my man, Garrett Richards, uh, some sometime late in the summer. Uh, I think this team, it might be a year too early for them to breathe down the Dodgers neck, but they'll be around in 2020. I think this is their Washington Nationals peak their head over 500 in 2011 season. Yeah, and I think they're another team where you could see them if they're, you know, a game or two out uh, of the wildcard races in July, decide to trade some of their prospects because they have so and many of them. what prospects they have to trade? Like, yeah, that's, they, that's huge. They could sacrifice one or two of those for a quick short-term upgrade uh, to try and make a run at the playoffs. And they're also another team where the rotation was just so bad last year. I'm not sure how much better it'll be this year because beyond like Paddock, who I'm very excited about, and Joey Lucchese. I'm not convinced about any of these arms, but it can't be as bad as it was last season. Not not down on Kent State legend Eric Lauer? Maybe. I, Matt Strom has a lot of people excited this spring, and I think that's what's interesting about this over-under number is you see a lot of numbers, like the Phillies is one, where a team makes a big splash, everyone's excited about them, so Vegas you know, nudges the number up a bit because they think fans will be more enthusiastic than the projections, but San Diego is actually right on their number. They're projected for 78.5 wins from the two systems, so you don't have to pay the enthusiasm tax. Exactly. If they were going to goose it to the point where it, it scared me off of betting, they'd have to go to like 82. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm mashing that over and not thinking twice about it. Uh, how about the Los Angeles Dodgers? 92 wins last year, 93 and a half this year. Over. Over? Yeah, I'm going to over. I think by run differential, they were a 102 win team last year. So that's a pretty big gap. And while I certainly have made my feelings known about how they spent their offseason trading away players like Yasiel Puig and Alex Wood, I think they have just the best 
lineup in the division. I think they have the best mm-hmm. rotation in the division. I think they probably have the best bullpen in the division. So it's hard to see me. It's hard for me to see them falling short of this number just because Clayton Kershaw is hurt and they still have seven other good major league starters. Yeah, I it, this is less a statement of faith in what they've done this past offseason than they've made the two the past two World Series and who else in this division is going to knock them under under that level. I think if they were in the East or the Central, then maybe you know some of those wins would get cannibalized. I don't know how much better they are on paper than say the Cubs, which is the team that it looks like I'm uh, I'm a little bit down on, but the it the gap between those two teams and talent is going to be less than the difference in wins just because of the division they're playing in. All right. Who knew we both ended up with 15 overs and 15 unders. I I didn't plan that. I a hundred percent did not plan that. Do you want to talk about some, some prop bets or uh, our boss was excitedly talking about this on Slack. So let's, let's just throw a couple out there. Yeah. So uh, our boss was talking about this and asked for some long shot bets. I think, you know, when we're going to make our prediction post uh, next week before the season, we will probably all pick like Vlad Guerrero Jr. to be a rookie of the year, Mike Trout to be MVP and so on. But that's kind of boring. You don't you know, make a lot of money if you actually gamble on those players. So as neither of us ever actually gambles, maybe this will be wildly inaccurate. Uh, but here we go for some long shot bets based on uh, the site that Bill Simmons sent us. So my number one pick uh, is for the most home runs this year, and that is Nolan Arenado at 25 to 1. Uh, Arenado has led the National League in homers in three of the last four seasons. Now, he never led the majors in those years, but that shows that he can hit a lot of home runs. He plays in Coors Field. He doesn't really ever get hurt, and you know he's not on the downside at all. I think it's kind of silly that he has worse odds than players like Aaron Judge and Joey Gallo, but not just worse odds, significantly worse odds. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't pick him out of a field, but 25 to 1 is just outrageous. Uh that feels like a steal to me. All right, my the one that that made my eyes bug out of my head, uh there were a couple uh Chris Sale and Corey Kluber are both 100 to 1 to win AL MVP, which you know, as admitting that you pay the pitcher tax and sale hasn't thrown 200, you know, didn't throw 200 innings last year. These are ace level pitchers on uh, on first place teams. One in a hundred that that just feels ridiculous to me that the the odd. Yeah, you know, I, I like this is sort of like Arenado where I like the pick less than I like the odds. Um, one one place where I do like the pick is Justin Verlander is 18 to one to win or to lead Major League Baseball and pitcher wins. He's going to be pitching in front of an incredible offense with a solid bullpen that isn't going to blow that many saves and uh, half the battle when you're trying to lead the league in wins is getting to a point where you're going to pitch enough innings and make enough starts to do it. And that just feels 18 to one is, is way too long. Um, I might, he might be my first pick. If if you had to, if you had me do a draft of which pitcher I would uh, project to win the most games in major league baseball this year. My number two pick is for NL rookie of the year. Okay, I've got the the my other picks are also NL Rookie of the Year. So if we're if we come down to the same place, we can tie together. Yeah, I think what's interesting about the NL Rookie of the Year this year is that there's no clear favorite. I think Victor Robles is the odds-on favorite, and then there are also guys like Peter Alonso who have pretty good odds. I think Fernando Tatis also uh, is tied with Alonso at five to one. But like last year, everyone knew that Acuna would probably win Rookie of the Year in the NL and Otani in the AL. Everyone knows this year that 
Vlad Guerrero Jr. is going to win Rookie of the Year in the American League. But the National League is more open, so I think Chris Paddock at yes, 40 to 1. Yes, 40 yes. to 1. That's outrageous. 40 outrageous to 1. Outrageous odds. Chris Paddock could conceivably be up as early as mid-April in spring training this year. He has 20 strikeouts in 12 and two-thirds innings uh, to just two walks. I think uh, he walked uh, less than one batter per nine last year while striking out 12 per nine in the minors. Uh, and I, uh, Austin Hedges, the, the Padres catcher, said after he caught him this spring that it was the easiest game he had ever called. Paddock is one of the reasons I'm excited about the Padres this year, and I think 40-1, to 1, uh, you know, you don't see pitchers winning that often, but they win often enough that uh, a pitcher like Paddock could really run away with this award. Yeah, and I mean, the the narrative, he could be a key key young player on a on an up and coming team, maybe there's some risk of him splitting the vote with some of the other rookies, but like, I don't know, is Arias going to put up the power numbers? Maybe Tati struggles out of the gate or doesn't get up early enough, but 40 to one. I mean, he is as good a pitcher as he is bad at choosing his own haircuts. Chris Paddock of, of San Diego. I also want to shout out my man, Keston Hira, uh, late of UC Irvine, 60 to one. Also wrote that one down. He's a very, very good hitting prospect. I don't know where he's going to play in that Milwaukee lineup, but 60 to one is very, very long odds for somebody who would be uh, probably in my top five preseason. So just the value there is incredible. And my last one, if we're going to give three each, would be for National League MVP Uh, at 70 to one is Michael Conforto, which might seem absurd, uh, but there's a reason that Bobby, 70- Bobby, Bobby, I need you and Zach to talk at the same time just to make sure that you haven't Bobby or Bobby <laughs> snatching Bobby snatching. Oh, no. But I the the path to Conforto winning the MVP, uh, you first have to have him you really break out. And I think he's capable of doing that last year. His numbers looked a lot better in the second half. And that's probably in part because he was still recovering from injury in the first half. And the second step is what if the Mets win the division? I don't think they will, but if they win the division and Jacob deGrom say he's a, he has a two seven ERA instead of a one seven, are people going to vote for him for the MVP over potentially an all-star position player who it's 35 home runs in the middle of their lineup. You know, he plays in New York, which certainly doesn't hurt uh, for boosting MVP odds. So he would be my pick for long shot MVP uh, in the national league. Okay. You drew me back into that one a little bit. I was Kram, you're I my like favorite staffer. You're my favorite person at the ringer. Now you just won it over right there. Kiss ass. Um, <laughs> I like Conforto. I didn't think that he would put up like the kind of, you know, uh, MVP numbers that a corner outfielder would need. But you know, you've laid out a pretty good narrative case. All right. So uh, please, if you make these bets and lose, do not come to us looking for our kneecaps. Uh, this is all just in good fun. We know better than to gamble on baseball. Uh, but I uh, hope you had fun listening to this. Zach, I hope you had fun uh, dispensing gambling advice. What a strange turn. So we'll be back with uh, Ben Lindbergh, is, assuming he's not too chicken shit to join us again as we make more predictions uh, next week. But uh, Zach, thanks for joining me. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening. We'll see you next time. Nick. 
Navy Federal is proud to serve more than 8 million members and is open to active duty military, the DOD, veterans, and their family members. Receive a lifetime of membership benefits like a credit card APR average that's 4% lower than the industry's, member-only exclusive rates, and more. Visit NavyFederal.org slash MLB for more information. Call 1-888-842-6328 or download the Navy Federal Credit Union app today. Message and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Baseball Express has one of the broadest selections of baseball equipment available. They provide the best performance gear at reasonable prices for ballplayers of all ages and skill levels. And they carry all the major brands. Easton, Louisville Slugger, Rawlings, Wilson, New Balance, DeMarini, and more. Visit BaseballExpress.com today for a special offer only for listeners of the Ringer MLB show. Enter promo code RINGER20 for 20% off your order. That's promo code RINGER20 for 20% off at BaseballExpress.com. 